It's an incredible story, 1 Kings chapter 18. And I think the best thing to do is to read through the account, and then we will come back and unpack it uh, for us. It's well worth the, the time uh, to read it. So 1 Kings chapter 18. We will remember from chapter 17 that there was a famine that was going on, and it is continuing into chapter 18. He says, And after a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of his palace. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, fifty in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive, so we will not have to kill any of our animals. So they divided the land they were to cover, Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah in another. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowed down to the ground, and said, Is it really you, my lord, Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. What have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here? I don't know where the Spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, fifty in each, and supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here? He will kill me. Elijah said, As the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. So Ahab went, or Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to them, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and then let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call in the name of your God, and I will call in the name of the Lord. 
The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. Since there are so many of you, call in the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. O Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seahs of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars of water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had brought them down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant, and he went up and looked. There was nothing there. Seven times Elijah said, Go back. The seventh time the servant reported, A cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, Go and tell Ahab, Hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain came on, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. What a story. The Lord, he is God. What would happen in South Dakota if we had a three-year drought in South Dakota and surrounding areas? 
I have a theory. I think the churches would be more full. I'm basing that theory on history. Remember what happened in 9-11? After the tragedy of 9-11, we had more people pouring into the church than we had seen in years. Prior to that, you go back to the Great Depression. When people were having desperate times and hard times, the churches were full. What is the problem in our day? We have too much prosperity. We have too much prosperity like the Israelites had, and when they had prosperity, they forgot the Lord and forgot His commands. I know that is not popular teaching today, but when we experience desperation, we move toward God. That's what we do. In my pastorate in Virginia, we were located right across the street, our church, from a funeral home. And there were times that we would get calls from the funeral home saying, this family does not have a church at all. They need a pastor to conduct the service. At least two occasions I went over and conducted the funeral service. I did not know the family at all. And I remember getting up and sharing, and of course I don't know the deceased person at all, and the only thing I could do was offer comfort and hope from the scriptures, but I also offered the gospel to which some people got very offended. One lady in particular, I remember, I'll never forget, she was an elderly lady, she came up to me, she was about this tall, and she came up to me and said, you had no business preaching to those people like that. I was like, thank you very much. <laughs> um, I'm doing what God has called me to do. And when people get desperate, they begin to move back toward God. The Israelites could have become easily offended by the words of Elijah because he was bringing God's truth back to them, the very truth they had abandoned, to worship the Lord. And so the opening verse, what we see here, is the heart. We have a glimpse into the heart of God for his people. That's what we have. Why? Because he talks about after, look at the opening verse, after a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. The third year, here we see the long-suffering of God. He's a long-suffering God. He patiently waits for our repentance. He's waiting and watching to see how his children are going to respond to discipline because this famine was the discipline of the Lord. We looked at that last week. It was the discipline of God to see, are they going to turn back, turn back to the Lord or not? This event also takes place about 100, listen, 150 years before the Israelites are taken captive to Assyria. You talk about patience. God comes with this man to bring the word of God 150 years before he brings judgment, and they still don't listen. And they're hauled off into captivity because they fail to listen to the Lord. In 1 Peter 3.20, it talked about Noah when he was building the ark because they formerly, he says, did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. And wasn't that over 100 years? The patience of God in waiting for his people. That shows, it shows God's incredible love for his people. Not only his long suffering, but his love, his patience. 
It tells us in Exodus 34, 6, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. That's his patience and long-suffering and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The word long-suffering, there's two Greek words in the New Testament that refer to long-suffering. Long, it means long and temper. Long-tempered. God is exercising self-restraint from immediately responding or retaliating for their disobedience. Why? Because love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It tells us that in 1 Corinthians 13, 6. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. For a person to delight in evil is to show that you have a heart that is far from God. If you find joy in evil, your heart is far from God. Far. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That is the love of God that is enduring for his people. He's not just sitting back and waiting, but he's pursuing them with the prophet Elijah to say, I love you. Will you come back to me? I love you. Will you come back to me? I guess it's a question for us. When we think about the character of God and the long-suffering of God, do I practice long-suffering toward others? Do I practice long-suffering toward others? Is it reflected in my love for them? Is there anyone in my circle of influence that I constantly avoid because of something in the past that has not been taken care of? It's a good question. Let's move on. We not only see the long-suffering in the heart of God, but we see the word of God to Elijah. Notice he says, after a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Now think about this for a moment. Why did the word of the Lord come to Elijah and not the Israelites? The Israelites were not listening. God had to find somebody who was going to listen to him. And give him that message so he would try to give that message to the Israelites because they weren't listening. They weren't responding. Let me read you just quickly from 2 Kings 17. It says in 2 Kings 17 in verse 6, In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and deported the Israelites to Assyria. Here we are, 150 years later. But he says in verse 14 of 2 Kings 17, But they would not listen and were as stiff-necked as their fathers who did not trust in the Lord their God. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their fathers and the warnings he had given them. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, Do not do as they did and they did the things the Lord had forbidden them to do. It says they forsook all the commands of the Lord their God and made for themselves two idols cast in the shape of calves. And we studied all that last week. And it goes on and on. And they sacrificed their children in the fire. That's what they were doing. Their values were all mixed up. They made gods based on their own national group. 
I don't have time to read the whole text, but if you want to jot down 2 Kings 17, read through that whole account. But here's what it says at the very end of 2 Kings 17. And here's what's scary to me. In verse 41, it says, even while these people were worshiping the Lord, they were serving their idols. Did you hear that? They were worshiping the Lord and serving idols at the same time. That's scary. How many times do we with our Christianity, the priority of worship is I worship God plus something else and I try to combine the two to somehow feel justified in my activity. And the priority of worship is really not there in our lives. The word of God came to Elijah because the people would not listen. Now, Elijah is given an incredible assignment. He's told to go visit with this wicked king. What an assignment. It's not one that anybody would really relish in having. The famine is severe. He runs into Obadiah. He tells Obadiah, go find your master. Tell him I want to meet with him. Obadiah's like, I don't want to meet with him. He's going to kill me. I mean, that's the kind of evil man he was. And yet he says, go ahead and do it. And then Elijah says in verse 15, as the Lord Almighty lives whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. You can hear the confidence in Elijah because he has the word of God. He has the message of God. And he understands the heart of God to call these people back to himself. And so he goes. And Obadiah also has a decision to make to do what God wants him to do. And you know what? There's some people who will say, yeah, I know what God wants me to do, but it's just too hard. You know, I know I need to go to that person and write an offense, but that's too hard. I know I should do this, but you know, that's too difficult. It's kind of risky to step out, and I'm not going to do it. That's disobedience. God gives us the power and the strength to do it if we do it in his strength and power. Jeremiah 10.23 says, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. In other words, God's assignments are not optional. We don't pick and choose which assignments God gives us. He gives us the assignment. We have to carry it out and do what he tells us to do. And doing God's will is not always easy. But look down in verse 16. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. They both obeyed the Lord. And how critical that is. And again, last week we talked about to really obey the Lord requires humility. If there's no humility, there will not be any obedience. We have to obey the Lord in whatever he tells us to do. So now Elijah meets with Ahab. And what does Ahab say to him? He sees him in verse 17. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. How easy do you think that message was to the wicked king? I don't think that's how you win friends and influence people. 
And yet he did the very thing God wanted him to do with courage and boldness. The word of God now moves from Elijah to Ahab. You see, God's prophet speaks the word of God and it moves from Elijah to Ahab and Ahab is the leader. So God's trying to get the attention. Now remember, this three-year drought was a direct result of the Israelites abandoning the commandments of God. And whenever we abandon the commandments of God, we abandon the truth of God. And two things happen when we do that. When we abandon the truth of God, there's at least two things that happen. Number one, the wrath of God is poured out. It is poured out. And number two, we open ourselves up to all kinds of evil when we abandon the word of God. Now let me show you where that's found in scripture. Romans 1.18, it says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness do what? Suppress the truth. You see, when we abandon the commandments of God, we abandon truth, and when we abandon truth, we suppress it. And it brings the wrath of God. In Romans 1.21, it says, Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, and that was happening in Israel. Because they abandon the commandments of God. Do we have sexual immorality in our day today? Do you know why we have it? We have abandoned the truth of God for a lie. That's what we've done. Have we sacrificed children through abortion? Have we abandoned the commandments of God? Is God calling America back to himself how long will we experience prosperity before God brings judgment on America? I don't think we're far away. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, the scripture says, and listen, and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. Baal was a created thing, a created God rather than the creator. And because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. And we see this rampant in our culture today. We've abandoned the truth of God. Our feet follow our heart. That's what happens. Our feet follow our heart. So Elijah now invites Ahab and the Israelites for a showdown. He says, okay, you want to follow Baal? Let's have a contest. Let's see really who is God. Let's just put it out there and see the reality of who's God and who's not. And so he asks the question, Look down in verse 21. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. I like how one theologian said it. He said it's, it's kind of like 
the idea of how long are you going to hop from branch to branch like a bird in a tree that can't make up its mind. It doesn't want to settle down. It just keeps hopping around. Or someone that keeps shifting their weight from one foot to the other, indicating a degree of lameness and not really deciding. I want to give a third possibility. I think Elijah came and he says, I'm going to draw a line in the sand. I'm going to draw this line in the sand. And if you think Baal is God, then you get over on that side of the line. And if you think God is God, then you get on this side. But make up your mind which side of the line you're going to be on and decide. And then live in that line. I came across an interesting concept about the line in the sand uh, by the, a guy by the name of Pastor Larry Crabtree. Uh, I was trying to see where, is it, where did this originate from, this whole idea of drawing a line in the sand, and that, that's my inquisitive nature. And I, there's different ideas suggested, but he suggested that uh, many scholars hold to the idea that this actually came into existence in about 164 to 160 B.C., this whole idea of drawing a line in the sand, that historically, when Antiochus Epiphanes ruled over the Seleucid Empire of one of the kingdoms that broke off from Alexander the Great, and he decided he wanted to rule the world like Alexander the Great, so he took his troops down to Egypt, and he was going to begin to conquer Egypt. Well, the Roman Empire didn't go for that, and so they sent a Roman Senate down there, in the name of Papilius Linus. He goes down there and he challenges him and he says, no, we're not for you doing this. And so they have this heated debate about it. And here's what Papilius did to King Antioch, Antiochus. He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. And he took a, a, whatever he took, a stick or whatever, and he drew a circle in the sand around him. And he said, if you step out of that circle before we agree on what we're doing, he said, we will begin war immediately with you. All you have to do is step across the line before we agree. And King Antiochus said, well, I don't want to go up against the Roman Empire, so he withdrew his troops from Egypt. But that's where the whole concept of stepping, drawing a line in the sand, at least that's one of the theories but it brings to mind some questions that I think all of us need to answer. Where have you drawn lines in the sand for your life in the following areas? The first area, where is your line in the sand drawn for the priority of worship? I say I love God, I'm a follower of Jesus, I want to please God with my life, but where is your line in the sand? What does it take for you to be away from worship that's more important than God and the worship with his people? Where is your line? Do you have one? Do you have a strong one? You see, because we made a decision years ago when our boys were really little, they were not going to be involved in anything that took us away from the worship of God. We just made that decision. On Wednesday night... Our, one of the boys was involved in a soccer league, and it went into the Awana time, and I went up to the coach, and I said, um, is there any way we can shift the time because our boys are in Awana? 
And we want them to be in Awana. I said, but don't do it for me. Can we take a poll of the parents and ask them? Would that be okay? And he polled the parents, and it was fine. We moved it up a half hour early, and we made it to Awana every week. It was a priority. Where are you drawing your line in the sand for the priority of worship? And if you don't have one as a parent, your kids and grandkids will not have any, I guarantee you. And then we're going to wonder what happened to the church. Here's what it says in Hebrews 10.25. It's the word of God. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You see, some are already in the habit of not meeting together on a regular basis because other things have crowded in. Let us encourage one another, he says, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We shout and cheer and clap that Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday in Hobby Lobby. But what are we cheering and clapping for in ourselves that worship is a priority? Where is your line drawn for entertainment? Movies. Does the storyline matter to you? What I mean by that, the worldview. Uh, what about music? Do you pay attention to the lyrics or just the beat? What about video games? Where's your line in the sand for video games? How many hours a week do you have to play? Do you have a limit? Or is it just endless? Where is your line drawn for social media? Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter. Do you have a line? Where is your line drawn for the content you view on the internet? Do you have a line? Where is your line drawn for telling the truth? Do you have a line? Parents, I want to challenge you to discuss these lines with your kids and your spouse. Elijah said, I'm putting a line in the sand. And if the Lord is God, he said, follow him. Not just today you're doing it, but every day you're following the Lord. Or Baal, something else other than God. And they broke every commandment. It says they, they broke the commandment. Have no other gods before me. Did they break that commandment? Yeah. They broke the commandments of the Lord. Elijah comes and he watches them call on the name of Baal. And isn't it interesting? They call on the name of Baal, it says down in verse 26, from morning till noon. I mean, for hours they're calling. on, And then they get into this fren frenetic dance, cultic dance, to try to appease this Baal. And remember, this, this Baal that they believed in was the God who would bring rain. He was the storm God. He was a fertility God. 
They believed that not only he brought produce to the land, but he would bring reproduction to human life. That's what they believed about Baal. And it was really God who brought the rain and controlled the rain. And God is the one who opens and closes the womb. And so he's saying, we're going to find out who's God. And then he taunts them. And they slash themselves with swords and spears until the blood flows. And a frantic cry and there's no response and no one answers and then Elijah calls him over and the first thing he does is he repairs the altar of the Lord to say you know what our focus has to be back on God he takes one stone for each of the tribes of Israel because that's who God's people were and he rebuilds that altar and he puts that sacrifice on there and he just prays a simple prayer that couldn't have been more than a minute or two God let it be known who God is and I wonder if our lack of priority of worship has caused the world not to be so attracted to the gospel what's the big deal if worship isn't a priority what is the big deal? And so it hinders the evangelism of the church as well and reaching out. God answers by fire. Wouldn't you like to have been there that day? Oh my. To see the fire of God come and burn up the stones and the dirt and lick up the water. I mean, that's phenomenal. That's the God we worship today. It's the one we should fear and reverence and be holy toward. Not just on Sunday, but every day. Elijah then has all of them slaughtered. There's a heavy price to pay when we get involved in idolatry. When we get involved in the worship of something other than God, there is a price to pay. And God is warning his people, it's 150 years before the judgment of God comes. It's the wrath of God in a less severe form when you think about it. He, God was actually showing his love by only causing a famine. He could have done far worse. But it's the patience and the long-suffering of God to say, I'm giving you time to repent and come back to me. And I think God is trying to do that to America. He is calling us back to repentance and salvation and following the Lord and not getting our priorities skewed. That's my fear about today is the priority of the worship of God has taken a back seat and God has taken a back seat and he takes offense to it. God help us. I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I will confess this was not an easy sermon to bring, but it was the one I believe God wanted me to bring.
I am concerned about our culture. I'm concerned about the lack of seriousness of corporate worship. We'll do it when it fits, when it's convenient. And when it's not convenient, I won't. I guess I would ask you to search the scriptures, to search your heart and say, where is my line in the sand? Have I, do I have one? And do I know what it is? And do, does my family know what my line is? And why it's there? I don't mean in a legalistic way at all. I mean that my love for God is first. Because the book of Revelation talks about leaving our first love. And that's serious. So I would ask you to take personal inventory of your life. What is God going to have to bring to America to wake his church up? What is it going to take? I'm fearful of the answer. I would encourage you, if you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord, you're going through the motions, you don't have a reality, you don't have a real relationship with God, start one today. If you feel the conviction from the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is knocking on your door, don't turn a deaf ear and refuse to listen. But like he said in 2 Kings, we can't worship the Lord and serve idols at the same time. We have to pick who we're going to follow. Would you just take a moment in the quietness of this hour? The Holy Spirit, I know, is at work because he's faithful to his word. Would you receive the word of God that he has for you today and what he wants you to do? And what he may want you to do may not please some other people around you. Understand that. But our first responsibility is to please the Lord. Please the Lord. If you have a need in your life, maybe you have a, a hurt that has separated a relationship, maybe you have a habit, maybe you have a hang-up, I don't know what it is. Maybe God has not been the priority in your life, and it's time to put him back on the throne. Where is the word of God in your life throughout the week? Is it a scavenger hunt for your Bible on Sunday morning? Blow the dust off? Or is the reality, I'm in the Word of God because I'm desperate? If there's anything we can pray with you about, we would be glad to do that. We're not here to judge you, to criticize you, but we are here to help you walk with the Lord.
and to encourage one another and pray for one another. And I know there are many, many challenges, especially for our young people. And we need to be praying for our young people. But young people, I'm telling you, you can live for the Lord today. Look at the life of Daniel. Daniel also drew a line in the sand. He drew a line in the sand. He would not defile himself with the king's meat or the wine. And he said, I, I'm drawing a line in the sand. <laughs> and he was a teenager. I'm challenging you to draw some lines in the sand. Look at the areas of your life. What is the line? And is God pleased with it? Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.